Welcome, welcome to the show. It is me, it is me, your girl, Labora Lee, and welcome to our edition of Hood History. Um, I get very excited about Hood History because it's a chance for me to explore something that I'm very passionate about, which is history. And today's show, I am very excited about sharing this particular story because it's one of my favorite stories to share. This particular episode let's just say we're in 1812 and it's time to talk about the war and i'm very happy to talk about it so one of the reasons why i'm very happy to talk about the war is because that war took place here as in baltimore as well and y'all know i'm big one like y'all know i'm from baltimore so it's a lot to unpack about this story but let's go back to june 18th 1812 this is where the war began and it lasted until February the 17th, 1815. But let's talk about why the war started. So the conflict um, was fought between the United States and Great Britain, right? Uh, basically, you know, they say it was violations over maritime rights, which, you know, in the sea, it was a lot going on back in those times. You had pirates, you had all kinds of things. I told y'all that in the last episode of Hood History. Pirates was running rapid in these times, right? So, um, um, it ended with an exchange of the ratification of the Treaty of Gaunt. What is the Treaty of Gaunt? I can't tell you the story without explaining what the Treaty of Gaunt is. So the Treaty of Gaunt um, was put together in December 20, 20, December the 24th, 1814, right? It's an agreement that was made in Belgium between Great Britain and the United States of America um, to end the War of 1812 uh, on the general basis that the status quo antebellum, because um, this is the time we're in, uh, maintaining the pre-war conditions. Because the military position for each side for so well um, balanced, neither the country could obtain um, desired concessions. So neither one of them could be like, you know what, this, we all getting what we wanted, right? That didn't happen like that. So, major causes of the war. The tensions that caused the war mm -hmm, in 1812 arose from the French Revolutionary War. Mm -hmm. Didn't even start with us. It started with what was going on over there. And, you know, at this time, you got the um, also the Napoleon Wars, um, where he was going through and he was ravaging everything. He wanted it all. He wanted... He wanted England too, but he wanted Russia. He wanted Poland. He wanted all the countries that he could get his hands on, as usually emperors and dictators do, right? You know, that's common. Um, so the Revo um, the French Revolutionary War was in um, started in seventeen ninety two, and it lasted until seventeen ninety nine. The um, Napoleonic War started in 1799 and lasted till 815. So it was a lot going on at the time. But anyway, during this constant conflict between France and Britain and America. Um, well, America, here we come, because this is what the, our country does sometimes. America's interests were injured um, by each of the two countries' endeavors to block the United States from trading with one another. So basically, remember, we're still a fresh country. Like, things are fresh, things are popping, you know, there's the hustle, bustle, hustle and bustle of trying to figure out how we going to make this country pop, what are we going to make this country into? And then we have two, at the time, superpowers saying that, no, you can't trade with them, and then, no, you can't trade with them. So this is what's going on at the time, right? So, um... American shipping initially prospered from the trade with the French and the Spanish empires. Uh, although the British countered the U.S. claim that free ships make free goods, uh, make for free goods, with the belated enforcement of so-called um, of a so-called rule of 1756, not um, trade not permitted in peacetime 
would not be allowed in wartime. So if you didn't trade in peacetime, then you weren't going to trade in wartime. It's just basically what they're saying. That's just what it is. Like, um, so if you didn't trade with these countries at the time that, that you know, everybody's at peace, then you can't trade with these countries at the time where everybody is at war. Which is like, dude, that's my country. I do what I want. But whatever. That's how I would have carried it anyway. <laughs> so the Royal Navy. Um, let me hold this. The Royal Navy mm -hmm, um, did enforce the Act of 1793. Um, to, they enforced it from 1793 to um, 1794, especially in the Caribbean Sea before signing the, the Jay Treaty in November um, on November 19th, 1974, under the primary terms, so under the terms of the treaty, America's maritime commerce, the ships, because I told you back then, we was, we were big on ships, like, it was all about the ships. There wasn't no airplanes and things of that nature, it was all about the ships. So, um, you know, the American maritime commerce was given trading privileges in England and the British East Indies. Britain agreed to evacuate forts still held by um, Northwest um, in the Northwest Territories um, by June 1796. And the Mississippi River, uh-huh, you know, that river we hear about so much, was declared freely open to both countries, to the United States, to England, right? So... It was highly unpopular, and the United States was one of the rallying points that used pro-French um, Republicans, led by Thomas Jefferson, because he was all in the mix. Thomas Jefferson was in some of everything. I don't think y'all know. We're going to talk about him one day, too, and his little babies. Um, but And then James Madison, in wrestling power from pro-British Federalists, led by George Washington and John Adams. Now... After um, Jefferson became the president, because I told y'all he all up and in this, all up and in this. After he became the president in 1801, relations between Britain slowly deteriorated and systematic enforcement of the rule of 1756 resumed after 1805, um, which became a troubling a troubling, troubling component in everything because it's like it's uh, it's a troubling development. You feel me? Um, the decisive British naval um, naval victory at the Battle of um, Trafalgar Trafalgar um, in eighteen. I mean, well, in, well, October the twenty first, eighteen o five. This is when this treaty. I mean, this battle went down. The efforts of the British to blockade the French ports um, prompted the French Emperor Napoleon to cut off the Brit um, Britain from the European and American trade. So they played with Napoleon. Napoleon said, I got something for you real quick because I'm not the one. Um, you know, N Napoleon was something else. He had that short man complex. He was out here just living it up. So I just wanted to give you an idea of what was going on and why everything started taking taking place. Um, that's a very important place to be at because, you know, many don't understand how that war happened. But basically, Britain, France, and America were going through their whole little, I'd like to say they was probably going through, all, all three of them had, like, they were synced up in their periods and they all had PMS at the same time. And they like, you know what, I'm tired of this. And they, you know, they went to war. So, during the war, Brit um, Britain and England, British, the British tried to capture Baltimore. I'm, I'm keeping it moving because it was a lot going on. There was a couple of areas that were involved, but y'all know I like to bring it back to Baltimore always because there's an explanation for why the city is the way it is. And I don't think anybody wants to admit that that's why it is how it is. But anyway, so during the um, War of 1812, the British tried to capture Baltimore. Um, U.S. forces were... Um, U.S. forces... Tag nabbit, y'all. I'm coming. Give me one second. We having technical difficulties again. But yeah, U.S. forces was not here to play. Hold on. Kind of get this together. Let me do a quick commercial break while I fix this. I'll be right back. I'll be right back. I'll be back.
What a time to be alive. I repeat, what a time to be alive. Did you know that you could get fresh ingredients along with beautiful recipes delivered to your door? Did you know that? Well, you can get 21 free meals plus free shipping and three free gifts when you use the code HelloFresh21. The link is in the description. Again, use the code HelloFresh21 to get 21 free meals plus free shipping plus free free gifts. I'm telling you. Time to get healthy, y'all. Alright, so I'm back. So basically now we're at the point where um they they like nah we get right attack y'all we tired of this so they came to Baltimore because at this time it's also something to understand about what was going on why you know how they got to Baltimore now um because it's a lot to discuss okay so in the melee um I told y'all it was a lot going on a lot of people were upset and all that good stuff and then you know uh i think all of the turmoil kind of happened because i don't want to say because of him but yeah because of him because thomas jefferson was kind of like he was kind of like stubborn in a way in a way not like he was diplomatic a slave owner but very stubborn you feel me so like I said, during the War of 1812, the British tried to capture Baltimore. Um, the U.S. forces successful defense in September. It was September the 13th through the fourth um, to the 14th of 18 um, 1814, though, uh, nearby Fort McHenry. If you've ever been to Baltimore, um, this is one of our main attractions. Um, Fort McHenry. It is a fort, and it is off of our inner harbor. You can see it. Like, um, actually, you can like if you live in the city, you can walk to it. It's just like a big ass hill that you can just go up on. But it goes out to the 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 sea. It goes out to the inner harbor, right? So, um, so they try to attack Fort McHenry, and now um, now it's a national monument. I just told you that, and a historic shrine. Um, it was the inspiration for Francis Scott Key's Star Spangled Banner. We're going to get to that, too. I'm going to fill you in. I'm going to fill you in. I told you it was one of my favorite stories. So um, it's not a story. It's history, but one of my favorite stories. So June 18th, 1812, Jane Madison signed a declaration of war between the United States and Great Britain. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was serious. They was ready for war. <laughs> lunatic so he he signs the declaration of war um many residents of maryland especially in baltimore the largest city in the, in the state and the third in the nation as well as one of the nation's leading ports because this is a port town i told y'all it's all about shipping um shipping everything you know shipping goods so anyway um they welcomed the news. They were happy about it. They like, what? We going to war? All right, we ready? Um, so the tra the trade port in Baltimore had been greatly um, curtailed since the trade embargoes with um, Great Britain and France enacted by the President Jefferson and then President uh, and then J um, James Madison during the rest of, um, of eighteen twelve into eighteen thirteen. Tra trade boomed like. The trade system was booming in Baltimore. Um, there, there was. Um, this was helped by the growing list of private ships going in and going out to seize British merchant ships. Again, the pirates. Y'all think pirates is just some made up stuff? They were real. Um, confiscating the cargo, um, then returning to port, then auctioning it off whenever. Um, whatever they had seized or whatever keeping the, the profits these privateers had an easy time of it until march 1813. it was at this time that the fleet of british warships commanded by rear um rear admiral george cockburn sailed into the chesapeake bay after blockading the uss constellation um, in Norfolk, Virginia. Now, the USS Constellation, it sits in the, in the harbor here in Baltimore 
as of today. You can go visit it. It's a nice place to go to um, for educational purposes. It's, it's good to take your kids there so they can get kind of like some understanding. And you never know. You might take your kid there and they may find a passion like I did for history. That was part of my um, finding my passion for history. But anyway, so Cockburn's fleet headed into North um, North into Maryland, capturing Baltimore privateers coming out of the bay, Admiral Cockburn proceeded to attack small towns um, along Maryland's eastern shore. The towns of um, Elkton, now it's Elkton, um, Georgetown, and Harry de Grace, which is still, they're still there, um, are attacked and burned to the ground. St. Michael's was attacked twice, um, but managed to keep the British um you know, keep them at bay, keep them from, um, you know, attacking them. Um, man, it was serious. Like, it was a serious, serious thing. It was going down. It was going down. So, uh, where are we? So, we talked about, uh, yeah, okay. So, I want to get us back on, on, on one accord. Um, so, yeah, they stopped them. Um, he attacked St. Michael's twice, but man, they managed to keep the British from entering the town. And then in April, Cockburn sailed up to the Patapsico um, River within sight of Fort McHenry. Now, throughout the summer, the British forces raided farms and livestock and crops and stuff like that. It was just like we ready. They're going to need to submit because we're taking their supplies um the british paid them for hats um hat they took in british pounds which was like what are we gonna do with that or promissory notes if the firearm was found in the house and all of the um outbuilding um all of the outbuilding would be set on fire it would be burnt they would just and it was just gone um the reason for this was that the white males between 18 to 45 were required by law to enroll in the state militia. So they knew what they was doing. If we, we cut them off, you know, cut them off, cut them off. We got them. We're going to handle our business. We're going to come at the track, right? So late in the evening of Saturday, September the 10th, um, 10th 1814, warships of the um, British Royal Navy were sighted at the mouth of Potastico River. Because it all goes down at the Patapsico River. Um, yeah, it all goes down at the Patapsico River. Hold on. Because um, I got to get my stuff together. I don't know why I keep jumping like that. That's weird. Well, let's do this. Okay. So, they at the Patapsico River. Um, it's get ready to go down. Everybody's scared. Everybody's like, oh, no. They're coming to get us. They coming to get us. Within that time, at least, hold on. They mad about. Oh my gosh, they coming to get us. They coming. Oh no, hold on, y'all. I got. I got my notes. I got my notes, and I got to make sure that everything's in order. So, um, Cockburn is already. He done did what he's gonna do. Um. He in the he in the Patapsico River. This is the first. This is not the first time His Majesty's Navy had been this close to Baltimore either. By the way, um, in April of 1813, the British warships had appeared within the sight of the city and sailed away. But in 1814, this was different. It was a whole different scenario. Three weeks earlier. A red glow from the burning public buildings of Washington City, Washington D.C. as we know it today, um, were clearly visible in sight in, in the sky of Baltimore. Because if you know anything about Baltimore and Washington D.C., neither one of them are far apart. They're pretty close in proximity. It takes about a half an hour to forty-five minutes to get to D.C. from Baltimore. So yeah, um, so they could see what was going down because they was burning it up in D.C. They had burned. This is the year that the White House they set the White House on fire, right? This is where you hear this the um the stories about Dolly, um, going in there and saving the picture of George Washington because she was like, he was our first president. It's very important. We need to get this portrait out of here." And she takes it out the frame, rolls it up, wraps it out, and ships it out the um the White House so it could be saved. All right. So now that you got that little tea, where are we at now? Um, so 
city's on DC's on fire with um um, the size of British forces, it seems certain that the, their city, the third largest city in the nation, one of the leading ports would be next on the target list. Because, <laughs> you know, it's always a list. You can check it off. They come in. Um, though the first alarms were sound in Baltimore on the night of September the 10th by late Sunday morning, all of the residents, everybody, because that's how we get down. If you think you coming here and you attacking us, you got another thing coming, a whole number, another thing coming. But of, um, of the, all the residents of the city were um, that you know, everybody like what? No, it's not going down. Um, they were aware that the enemies were at the mouth of the Patapsico River. The British fleets. Uh, 55 ships um, under the command of Vice Admiral Sir Alex um, Cochran would be seen maneuvering back and forth within the sight of Federal Hill and Fells Point, which is all down in the harbor. Now, at the time, Fells Point was not a part of Baltimore City, I don't think. I don't know, but we'll we'll get to that later. So what led up to the battle? This, 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 they was ready. They were ready. So let's get into it. Um, so now they, they creeping up, they trying to get to uh Hampstead Hill and Fort McHenry, um, under the direction of General Sam Smith, the citizens, um, because they just like, no, we ain't having it. Like, y'all ain't gonna keep coming here playing with us like we some joke or something. So under the direction of uh, Major General Sam Smith, the citizens of Baltimore had spent a lot of time preparing. Um, a lot of time preparing. Uh, so, hold on. Oh, yeah, they was ready. So, yeah, Sam Smith came along. The citizens of Baltimore had spent the, the last three, three weeks preparing um, the defenses for the British attack because they knew they were coming. Smith was also the commander of the military forces dem um, demanding Defending the city. The city was divided into four zones um, with each zone alternating days working on the city's defenses. Every citizen, regardless of age, regardless of sex, race, including freed African-Americans and enslaved workers, because I told you this city is big on having those, but they were all um, they all contributed to the, the defense of the city. Now, Baltimore's main defense position was in the middle of the city at Hampstead Hill. Um, today, you would, if you came here today, Hampstead Hill would be Patterson Park. All right, so, um, so if you ever come here and where's Hampstead Hill, know that it's called Patterson Park now. Now, it had been three weeks from the time that the British had left um, Washington, D.C. until they had appeared at the Patapsico River. I can't even get that out. Within that time, though, it was going down. We was getting ready. We was like, nah, yo, you not. No. You not get ready. No. No. You not coming in here doing crazy stuff. So anyway, it had been three weeks and the British had left Washington, D um, Washington, Washington City, but now it's Washington, D.C., until they had appeared at Patapsico River. Within that time, the citizens of Baltimore had built over a mile and a half of well-placed entrenchments. No, you're not just coming up in here. You're going to have to fight to get up in here because that's how we get down. So Maryland, Washington City, and Virginia, and Pennsylvania arrived to the defense of Baltimore because they was like, nah, like... No, that's a big port city for us. Um, sailors and um, Marines under the command of uh, Maryland Native Commander John Rogers arrived from Philadelphia Navy Yard two weeks earlier to help assist wa in Washington's defense. Now they were added um, to assist the defense of Baltimore with the main, um, the main base at Hampstead Hill and estimated 15,000 to 20,000 soldiers with 60 cannons were now ready to fight. They ready for war. They tired of the mess. They tired of it. I would be tired too. Like, listen, you're going to come in here bullying us. So in mid-afternoon of September 11th, oh my gosh, that's so weird. Um, the 3rd Brigade of Maryland's militia made up, up of 
eight regiments from the city marched from Baltimore to meet the British. The commanders, um, they were commanded by um, Brigadier General John Stricker. Stricker Street. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. John Stricker. And the 3rd Brigade um, numbered in 4,000 men, including troops from Pennsylvania and Western Maryland, and they would have the first encounter with the British at the place of North Point. Mm. So now, let's get into it. I just wanted to give you like a, a little synopsis of what was going on at that time. 1812 was crazy. It was crazy. So, now... Let's get into the tea because we get ready moving along to, you know, the whole Star Spangled Banner and all that good stuff. But so the negotiations for Mr. Um, Beans, Dr. Beans, sorry, um, as General Stricker and the 3rd Brigade were retreating from the Battle of North Point because it was getting hectic over there. Things was happening and they like, dang, we losing control. Let's get out of here because that's how I go. You know, <laughs> you got to go. Let's get out of here. So they retreated um, during the evening of September the 12th, 1814, 1814, the British naval ships um, out on the Patapsico, hold on, because it was going down. Um, yeah, the British naval ships out on the Patapsico River were moving into position for an attack of Fort McHenry. So now they moving in like, all right, you know, they retreating, so now we can do some things. The Star Fort, because that if you don't know, Fort McHenry is in the shape of a star, but the Star Fort, fort was the last main obstacle into Baltimore. You got to get past there to get in here if you coming from the sea. Um, once the fort was destroyed, the ships would sail into the city um, empty the warehouses and set the city on fire as they left. Because they was all about setting cities on fire. I don't know what that was, but they were all about setting cities on fire back then. Hey, I guess they figured if, if we set it on fire, it's not here anymore. We could do what we want to do. So among the ships of the British fleet was an American packet ship that had left Baltimore a week ago. Um, it was on a mission to secure the release of American prisoner Dr. William Beans um, from hospital. Um, so, yeah. It's crazy because his situation went from hospitality to, to being a hostage, basically. So, three weeks earlier, the British, mm -hmm, the British, of course, it's the British, were marching towards Washington City, right? Let's keep it moving. Um, they were marching and marching and marching and marching because, you know, yeah, they were marching um, towards Washington City. Like I said, hold on, let me get to where I need to go. Um, let me make sure this is the right, the right one, the right page or whatever. But they marching. Um, they marching. So what happens is Dr. Baines had hosted General um, Ross, Admiral Cockburn, and the other British officers at his house in Upper Marlboro, Maryland. Yeah, Maryland is thick in this war. They, we thick. Um, so the elderly Beans was a prominent local physician who the British believed was sympathetic to them, to their cause and them taking back over the United States, right? Before leaving for Washington City, Beans had promised Ross and Cockburn um, that he would not interfere with British military operations. He promised them. They like, cool, like, all right, good. So we cool. Everybody cool here. Um, however, the British Army marched back to their ships after um, they burnt Washington, D.C., and Dr. Beans took part in helping to round up some of the stragglers who got left behind or, you know, who had issues during this time because there was a lot going on. A lot of people were like, oh, I don't know where to go. Oh, my gosh. So when hearing this, Ross was furious and he ordered Beans brought to the fleet. Ross intended to send him to Halifax, Virginia, but put him on, tri on trial for his duplicity in the war the him getting all involved in mass he was like no we're gonna put him on trial um words of the doctor's plight had spread throughout southern maryland lawyer francis scott key know y'all heard about him in the history books was an acquaintance uh, acquaintance of dr bean and he went to the octagon city washington dc as we know it today but back then it was washington city to meet with 
um, President Madison, um, seeking authorization to negotiate with the British to secure Dr. Bean's release. Madison approved, telling Key that he could go into Baltimore to meet with the um, U.S. prisoner of war exchange agent, John S. Skinner. But before leaving, um, before leaving to meet with Skinner, um, Key went to um, Bladensburg, where the battle had been fought to open the way for the British to enter the capital. At, um, at the location, Key found the American doctors. Oh my gosh, they was just like, no, and y'all ain't going hell either. You gonna, <laughs> you gonna, you gonna be out here. Um, no kind of, no, you're not getting no help. But um, so he went there uh, he found the American doctors who had been tr um, treating wounded British soldiers to injure, to return to the fleet. So they can't come back now. Key announced that he was going to meet the British fleet and ask if anyone had letters for home. After receiving a sack of letters, Key left for Baltimore and met with Skinner. Arriving in Baltimore at Bowley's Wharf at the base of South Street, Skinner and Key boarded a local mail packet ship called the president which was owned by ferguson the ferguson brothers on september the 5th they sailed to meet the british fleet so now they on their way is going down it's popping they like we get right get them out of here we get right get them out of here right the next day off of the um Patuxent River, Skinner and Key sighted um, HMS Royal Oak and learned that Dr. Baines was aboard the Admiral um, Cochrane's command ship and the HMS Tonnet, um, the 80-gun ship, was further down the bay. So Key gave the set of letters from the British prisoners to one of the smaller, um, faster ships to relay them to General Ross, who was also on the, the Tonnet. Um, on September seventh, the ship arrived to meet with these um, with these fleets. Skinner and Key um, were brought aboard, where they were greeted by the Admiral Cochrane. Then they realized an attack on Baltimore was being planned before Skinner could mention the purpose of the visit. Key told Cochrane they were for um there for the release of dr baines cochran spoke very harshly like he was laying them out he was like no y'all not taking dr baines dr baines is staying right here where he is and the other british officers did not think he should be released so it was a lot of turmoil on the ship they like no he not going he ain't going nowhere he's staying right here and ain't nothing y'all going to do about it however though the americans were invited to lunch with the um british officer skinner in his official capacity of prisoner exchange agent had met the british officers many times before so he had already been around them a few times you know they already kicked it right as lunch was being served the officers started to talk amongst themselves stay right there because i gotta play a quick commercial i'll be right back i promise i'll be right back this story is getting deeper and deeper and we need to be a part of it be right back want last minute brand design help get top tier fiber freelance creatives at your fingertips fast with secure payments and 24 7 support head to fiber.com today and get something started all right i'm back so now the British troops are talking. They're like, you know what? We don't, we don't like what's going on here. Let's, 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 let's converse and talk about what's happening right here so we can make some decisions. So Skinner and Admiral Edwards, um, Ad, Admiral Ad, Edward Codrington got in a heated discussion over the fact that Skinner's house had been burned by the British three weeks before. So that was already some stuff. It was a lot going. Want last minute I'm sorry. My apologies. Yeah, but that was a lot going on. Skinner's house had already been burned. And I feel like they felt in their minds like 
we can't trust this guy. You feel me? We trying to come over here and take over stuff. We really can't trust this guy no further than we can throw him. And there also, um, there was also an army officer at the lunch who Skinner had previously met. He was surprised to discover that he was General Ross. Now, Ross invited Skinner back to his cabin and told him that Dr. Beans was no gentleman. Because, you know, like back then, that was like saying Dr. Beans is a punk, a punk bitch. He, he a traitor and he's a punk ass bitch. And no, no, we ain't here for him. You know, he's not given loyalty, right? So that's what, you know, Ross is going to have discussed. Um, he's no gentleman and should be released. I'm um, not be released by any, for any reason. But Ross, like, Ross is like, he had read some letters from the British prisoners and his officers stating that the great treatment of uh, the great treatment that uh, he had been given, he had given Ross's soldiers. He had, Beans had took care of Ross's soldiers. So how is he not a gentleman? And he, you, your own people, your own troops are saying, this dude helped us out when we were injured because we was over there trying to take over some stuff. Ross expressed his, his relief and gratitude um, about the kind of treatment his men had received and stated that the reason and no other he should con um, consent to the release for that reason and no other he should he should all right i'm gonna let him go you feel me because he did he did take care of my peoples in a time where they need you know they was going through some things so for this reason alone i'm gonna go ahead and release him after his meeting with ross gonna return to tell key that dr baines would be released right so he like Listen, Key, guess Francis. They're going to let him go. They're going to let him go. Um, Admiral Cochran told Skinner and Key that with so many officers from other ships aboard the tender planning to attack Baltimore, there was no room for the Americans to remain on board. So they're like, y'all got to go. Y'all got to get off the ship right now. The three Americans, Key, Beans, and um, Skinner, um, and the remainder of the crew from the um, truce vessel were trans then transferred to a 38-gun um, ship called the HMS Surprise. Oh, surprise! Um, the, the fourth ship was then tied to the Surprise and followed up the bay with the fleet of um, on the you know up the Patapsico River, so now they they tied to the other ship because they was like we can't have you on the ship. We got things we got to do. We trying to take over, retake over America, and y'all in the way, right? So <laughs> sorry, y'all. <laughs> they just said they in the way. Get you gotta get off my ship. I got stuff to do. So as the British, as the British fleet reached the mouth. <laughs> Hold <laughs> on, you say y'all gotta go. <laughs> y'all gotta get off my shit. <laughs> y'all gotta go. So as the British reached the uh, the mouth of the Patexico River, Skinner suggested that Admiral Cochrane that um to to Admiral Cochrane that since he um they were non-combatant, so um so close to the city, he would let them return to Baltimore. So they weren't trying to fight. They weren't trying to. Um, come and, you know, stop the British from doing what they was trying to do. So they could go back to Baltimore. We don't care about that. Go ahead back to Baltimore. So Cochran told him that since the British officers had freely discussed the attack in front of Skinner and the others, that they could not let them go into Baltimore and risk informing the um, defenders of the Brit um, the defenders of Baltimore of the British pants. So the Americans would be detained until the British had taken over the city. So now they not, we're not going to let them go into the city yet because they know what we're planning to do. They know what we got on our agenda and they're going to go back and they're going to tell everybody. And then by the time we get in there, they're going to be ready to go and ready for war. They know we was already ready for war. Um, so, <laughs> So the Americans would be detained until the British had taken the city. Skinner then asked to be transferred back to their own ship so that they would not have to watch the attack from the deck of the British warship. Cochrane agreed to let them um, to this, but also sent um, a detachment of royal troops. So they're not playing. So um, like they're not 
they weren't I don't think um, that they were stupid they knew what was going on so they also decided to send some 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 guards so to speak with them um the protect at the potential code where the skin is suggested to the uh okay so like he's like yeah i'm gonna let you go up there right let me make sure we good because there's some notes i got and i need to okay yeah, so he sent the royal troops, some royal marines with him. Like, nah, y'all not going up there by yourselves. We want to make sure that they watch y'all so that y'all don't go and, and, and spill the beans that we on our way and we about to do some stuff, right? Um, and he wanted to make sure they wouldn't escape. So returning to their ship, the Americans were reluctant to settle and uh, reluctantly settled in to watch the British attack proceed help this to provide any warning to the city in front of them baltimore they can't tell them nothing they can't tell them nothing so now the british is ready to attack fort mchenry they ready um on our side uh so they land the british land stalled north and east of the city by defenses dug by the citizens because i told y'all everybody had to help everybody was trying to defend the city um this, there were about fifteen thousand troops eyes would turn to the british navy if the navy would be able to sail into baltimore harbor land forces could be reinforced by naval guns um bombarding the american um city um or, or the defenses uh so even the city itself. So standing between the British Navy and the city of Baltimore were the defenses of Fort McHenry and its 1,000 American defenders. Um, to dislodge the defenders from the fort, one of the longest bombardments of American history would commence. It would happen. It would go down um, with the fate of the city. And perhaps the nation at state, like we don't, we didn't, they didn't know what was getting ready to happen. They didn't know. But guess what? Baltimore was safe. Yes, it was, honey. Yes, it was. It was safe. So when the bombing of Fort McHenry finally stopped early the morning of September the 15th, 1814, um, not everyone knew that the, um, what the outcome was. Two mile, um, two miles from the fort, um, the true ship, the, the, um, Stephen Decatur was, still tethered to uh cochran's temporary command ship and the um the oh the, the ship you remember the hms surprise um francis scott key john skinner and dr baines all watched the attack from the deck um of the stephen decatur and once the firing stopped they waited and they waited to see if it was going to jump back off again they waited they waited they was like i don't we don't know what's going to happen so when it did not the americans were trying to figure out why the british had stopped firing what did it mean like had the fort and the city been surrendered <laughs> you don't know us so well so the garrison flag that's the flag that y'all know today well not yeah, it's the flag. We'll get to that. Um, for nearly 90 minutes, the Americans on the truce ship were waiting anxiously. They wanted to know what was going on. They were waiting anxiously for an answer. They could tell that the British ships were preparing to sail. Um, but the sail, they where, where were they going? Like, where was where were they going? So back down the Patapsico towards the fleet or up the Patapsco into the city. Like, which what, what, di what direction were they going to go in? Key and Skinner kept looking through a uh, um, spyglass, because, you know, that was big back then. You looked through it and see what's going on, because you could see everything, right? To see if the flag was still on the pole. And if so, was the f um, whose flag was it? Was the British flag or was it the American flag, right? Um, was it the same one that they had, had been... Um, that they had placed there the night before. Instead, the fort of men, um, inside the fort of men of the garrison were also wondering why the British ceased fire. The men on the um, ramparts kept a sharp eye on the ships, ready to open fire if they um, if they needed to, um, if they, like, if the British started deciding that they wanted to come towards the city. Uh, Major Armistad was receiving reports from the um, garrison about 
any damage to the fort. The number of casualties and what the British ships were doing. So all of this coming together. Um, just before 9 a.m., Armstead ordered the storm flag taken down. Um, the same flag that he had seen at the twilight's last gleaming. You know, that's why I like Glasgow. Yeah, that, that flag. Um, so, oh, same flag. Mm -hmm. By now, the flag was hanging limp against the um, flagpole. Happy from all of the rain, because it was a rainy, it was a rainy, it's rain season. I told y'all this was going down in September. It's raining. Um, and that happens here a lot. In September, it's usually a rainy season. Rainy season. Um, Absorbed by the wool. Following the army regulation at 9 a.m., Armstead ordered the garrison flag to raise. The garrison, um, the garrison's fife and drums, joined by musicians of Mer the Maryland militia, played the national air Yankee Doodle while, because at the time that was like the song, that was like the maybe like the national anthem back then, while the large wool. 30 by 42 garrison flag was hoisted. Mm-hmm, honey. So that's the flag that um Francis was talking about mm -hmm, in the song. That's the flag. So, um, yeah, they put it back up. They put it back up. As the flag rolls to the top of the flagpole, the sun broke through the clouds, shining into the flag aboard the Stephen Decatur. Skinner, Baines, and Key, watching through a spyglass, saw the large 30 by 42 flag reflected in the sunlight, waving over the ramparts of Fort McHenry. Um, they were elated. They were happy as shit. Sorry, excuse my language, that the fort was still held by the Americans. So if you know the story of, um, <laughs> you know, the whole song, Francis Scott Key and all of that. So at this time, everybody knows I'm not going to keep going into all the story. I just wanted to give y'all a little bit of information about what was going on at that time. You know, what was happening. So, the end of the war. The outcome of the Battle of Baltimore was that the city was saved, having avoided the occupation of the invading forces of who probably would have set the warehouses and burnt the city down. We would have had the same fate that they had in Washington, D.C. at the time. But, because they fought hard in here, they fought hard in New York, they fought hard in so many different places at this one time, because remember the British were attacking from all kinds of places. It didn't go down um, and the war subsided and everything, well, I don't know about good, but everything went the way it was supposed to go. I love this, um, hearing this particular piece of, um, history when it comes to this city because like I told y'all like my city has a lot of history when it comes to this country and the things that go down in this country one standpoint I have is this um that you know they talk about how violent the city is now but my standpoint is this, this the city has been violent a lot of guns and cannons and things have gone off in the city for a very very long time it has and that's the truth um, but I, my other standpoint is this for those who live here, recognize where you live and where you come from. It's a lot of history here from the, I don't care what race you are. Um, it's a lot of history here. And as we go along there, I will divulge a lot of that history, but in my mind, you should just take better care of the city because it is a lot of history in the city, black history. Um, Jewish history. It's just a lot of history here. It's like I don't is that race does not matter. History matters and it's a lot here. So love your city a little bit more. I love it. Um I can't wait to tell you more stories about it. I can't wait to go into other stories because it's other things. I'm gonna get into the Civil War too. I'm gonna get into the Civil War, trust me. But there's other things that you know we could take away from these lessons and how we move today. So, with that being said, you guys are amazing. Thank you for tuning in to Hood History. <laughs> yes, we love telling history, um, telling about the historical things that happen in this country and other countries. And we will be covering a long list of countries. But thank you for tuning in. And I got 
to get out of here. But I love you guys very much. And tune, make sure you tune in for Media Monday. It's coming. It's coming. Media Monday. This Monday. And with that being said, I got to go. Bye, y'all. Love y'all. Bye.